Will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give thanks for the way that you are present in our lives and present in the world. And we pray that through that presence, through that spirit, we may hear your word for us today. Amen. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. With two, they veiled their faces. With two, they veiled their feet. And with two, they flew about. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The doorframe shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. I said, Mourn for me, I am ruined. I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the king the Lord of heavenly forces. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom should I send? And who will go for us? I said, I'm here. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. I'm kind of curious if that passage from Isaiah is familiar to y'all. Because it's the go-to scripture for seminarians who need to write an essay about why they plan to be a pastor. This scripture is perfect because it's one of the, the call narratives or the Bible studies where someone signs up for a life of ministry. But in this call narrative, the prophet Isaiah has imposter syndrome. He knows he's no one special. He thinks he's not worthy. And God calls him anyways. And you know, that's how a lot of pastors feel. So we love this scripture. But for everyone else, it's probably weird AF. I mean, so Isaiah has a vision where God is on a throne and there are these fiery flying snakes with wings covering their faces and genitalia. These snakes sing a song that makes the earth shake and the, the temple, the room, floods with smoke. Isaiah, sort of seeing what's going on, he, he knows he's in over his head. So he says, he isn't worthy that, that he's a man of unclean lips. So then one of the snakes takes a burning coal from the altar and puts it on Isaiah's lips. The snake, in essence, tells Isaiah he's all good, and then Isaiah agrees to become, become a prophet with that famous line, here I am, Lord, send me. And that's weird, right? I mean but it has a purpose, and one that might even bring a word of hope for us today. 
Because there are a bunch of these, these call stories where people say yes to God. And many of those are joyous occasions that we in the church celebrate. Not so much with Isaiah. His situation was anything but happy. When Isaiah's vision takes place, the Syro-Ephraimatic War had been raging for generations until King Uzziah brought peace and stability. But verse 1 shares the news that King Uzziah is dead, and things do not look good. This actually happens in chapter 6, where we are, but the first five chapters of Isaiah tell us how the Judeans have forgotten the land, that their worship is pointless, that they are corrupt, and now there's injustice everywhere. Isaiah's people are in danger, and he can feel them turning away from God. So in the midst of this impossible situation, God gives Isaiah a job to preach justice to his people. But there's a catch. It's, you actually probably didn't even see it because the lectionary ends the scripture at verse 8 where everything is feeling good. Go send me, Lord. But in verse 9, God tells Isaiah that his people, that Isaiah's people, can't hear, can't see, can't understand, and will not change. Isaiah responds asking God, how long will he have to do this impossible task? And I'll just quote God's response in verse 11. Until cities lie ruined with no one living in them, until there are houses without people and the land is left devastated. All this work, all this pain, all this struggle, and for what? Nothing is ever going to change. It sure feels that way sometimes. We, we wear ourselves out worrying and acting to protect and care for the earth that seems to just be coming apart at the seams. I mean, we labor for justice. We shout ourselves hoarse at protests. We go to trainings to confront our own racism. We give our time and money to bring healing to this broken world. And so often we're left with the sinking feeling that it's just not making a difference, or at least not enough of one. I mean, it's... (laughs) I mean, obviously, George Floyd is on uh, a lot of our minds right now, and, and, and it's been a year since the death of George Floyd. And while the officers who killed him were held accountable, a thousand people have been killed by police since his death. And, and yesterday I read the, the attorney general's court filing of the charges brought against the officers who killed Manny Ellis here in Pierce County. And I don't know, I mean, just... Reading the details of his death, it was just so devastating and discouraging that, that we're still here. Which is all to say that, that I can relate to what Isaiah is feeling. That 
it's so hard and it's not going to get better. I, I, can, <laughs> I can relate to Isaiah even in spite of the lack of snakes, wings, and visions. So when we are feeling like Isaiah felt, this is a scripture that brings us a word of hope. Because Isaiah acts the way we often act. He tries to make sense of his trauma by blaming himself. He tells God, I mean, I mean this is a, a person who's had a vision, who's in the presence of God. I get into this, I sort of skipped it, but like oh, kind of the symbolism is that Isaiah is actually in the, in the physical presence of God. That's the smoke and the fire, the theophany. And, and, and yet, he, uh, he tries to make sense of his trauma by blaming himself. He tells God, I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live in a people with unclean lips. But the divine response is not one of condemnation. God doesn't say, well, you are pretty terrible, but I'll forgive you this time. The, the first response is to tell Isaiah that his guilt is removed. Then it says Isaiah's sin is removed. And, and it stands out to me that, that God doesn't mention Isaiah's uncleanliness by name, but God does mention Isaiah's guilt as the thing that needs to be removed. It makes me wonder if the sin God removed is the same thing as the guilt God removed. Perhaps the sin wasn't uncleanliness or unworthiness. Perhaps the sin was the guilt and the self-blame that needed to be removed and taken away for Isaiah to say yes to God's call to seek justice in the spite of uh, in, in like spite of just overwhelming odds. And and that would actually fit with the symbolism in this vision, where there's, there's no uh, division between the holy and the unholy, because God's spirit is everywhere. In Isaiah's vision, God's robe fills the whole temple, which um, basically symbolizes how God's power fills the whole earth. The temple then fills with smoke, which is the symbol for the physical manifestation of God in the Hebrew Bible, like God's presence. There's no place where God's presence is not. And then we catch it really specifically in the, the, the hymn, the song, that the angels sing, holy, holy, holy. All the earth is filled with God's glory. In this vision, there is no place where God is not. There is no sacred and profane. Cleanliness and worthiness are human concerns, not divine concerns, which is what Isaiah needs to hear, and perhaps what we need to hear, that God's Spirit surrounds us and empowers us, that the work of sharing God's love and God's justice. That work is pure and true and right. And that the reason the, for the overwhelming resistance isn't actually something that Isaiah is doing wrong. 
It's the opposite. It's because he's doing something holy. And, and I don't know about y'all, but that's, that's a good word for me, at least at times. I mean, when the struggle is real, I'm not looking for God to tell me, it'll all be okay, because the struggle is actually real, and it's going to keep being real, which is exactly what God says in this passage, that the work will always feel impossible. And yet, this is holy work. It's work that Isaiah is called to do because it's work that matters to God and matters to the world. And and I think I also appreciate that that this this call narrative, this call story, comes in a weird, bizarre dream. You know, because there are, there are lots of call narratives in the Bible that are easy to understand and easy to accept and get excited about. They're stories of people being asked to follow God and then, you know, amazing things happen. And we need those stories because we, we have those stories in our life. But we also have the stories that don't quite make sense. But, and we have those experiences of being called or inspired that they don't just quite fit the mold because sometimes God communicates not through a, a book or a sermon but through a vision or, or a dream that feels so out there that we might be a little bit embarrassed to share it with our friends I mean sometimes we're called to a path that involves pain and disappointment and in those moments, we need this vision to remind us that, that despite the brokenness and discouragement of life, God's Spirit fills our world and, and that we are a part of that world. Despite our feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, we are enough. God sees all of who we are and invites us to reply just like Isaiah did. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen.